Everybody knows somebody who has rejected the gospel because of double standard, a life that's lived one way at a certain time and another way at another time. And if you are thinking that this morning, actually maybe you ventured into church and said, okay, I'll give it one more try or I'll think about it one more time. Hopefully I won't get burned. Again, I want you to know something. Jesus agrees with you. (laughs) Jesus doesn't like a church filled with hypocrites. It would be his desire that we would catch on to the true meaning of the gospel and that our lives would actually be changed, not to the point where we go around and we always get everything right. Because if that's what you think a Christian is, you've misunderstood the faith desperately. Christianity, uh, can you ever meet a person who says they're a Christian and say they don't sin, they never make a mistake, you are in the wrong place and you need to get out of there as quickly as you can. Jesus understands that our faith is not about acting out religiously in public, but rather it is a matter of the heart. And so he addresses it with, uh, with no gentleness at all, with great certainty and with great conviction. And so we're going to try and address it with the same type of honesty. Out of Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to read a few different verses. We're going to start in verse 1 and I'm going to read the first six verses. And then when I switch to another section of the passage, I'll let you know if you have your Bibles, you'll be able to, to kind of catch up and follow along. Uh, if you're watching on the screen, the verses will be there. But hear the word of God. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people, in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the street, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And then skip ahead to verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who, see, who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Verse 1 starts off with a very strong warning. Jesus says, beware. It's not a word we use very often anymore. Typically now we would say, uh, watch out. Uh, if you're a, a child of the 60s, as, as I was, uh, perhaps you remember that, uh, that TV show, Lost in Space, uh, and that stupid robot that had those arms that would fling around, and he would say, danger, danger, Will Robinson. Uh, and that's kind of, don't picture Jesus as a robot with goofy arms, but that's what Jesus is saying this morning. Look out. Pay attention. Watch out. Beware. Be careful. Why is Jesus... Uh, so uh, interested in this topic. Why does it uh, start so emphatically? You need to look out. You need to be careful. There's a danger that's right in front of us. Now, the danger, I want to say right off the bat, is not in practicing righteousness. We're supposed to practice righteousness as Christians. I think the idea with practice is that you actually get a little bit better with it. But Jesus says that you are to practice righteousness. That's a good thing to do. These verses say, if you go to verse 2, Jesus says, when you give... He says in verse 5, when you pray. He says in verse 16, when you fast. 
The problem isn't in doing these things. We ought to do these things on a regular basis. We ought to be giving more. We ought to be praying more. And we ought to be fasting more because these spiritual disciplines grow us up in our faith. So the problem isn't practicing righteousness, but rather it's the motive behind the practice. What is it that spurs me on to giving to others, to caring for others? That's where we need to spend our time this morning. And I believe that Jesus wants us to understand that the temptation here with which we are faced is seeking man's approval. It's a desire for people to acknowledge my righteousness. I want you to see that I am a quote-unquote religious person because religious people are really good people, right? And I want you to... And so that becomes, if you really want to be a disciple of mine, you're not going to be so concerned with what others think of you because there's no ultimate value in their emotion. If people look at you and pat you on the back and say, wow, you're a great person, what do you have to show for it? You got a pat on the back and that's it. It doesn't last into eternity. In fact, Jesus points this out in verse 2 when he's talking about the hypocrites who are seen by people and that's their motive and that's their goal. He says this three times over, they have received their reward. Verse 2, those who pray in public, they've received their reward. People who, or excuse me, who give in public. In verse 5, people who pray to be seen by others, they have received their reward. Verse 16, those who fast in a way that lets everybody know that they're fasting. They go around with these long faces and gloomy. Oh, what are you doing, brother? What are you doing, sister? Oh, I'm fasting right now. They have received their reward. Don't be like the hypocrites. Jesus says in verse 2, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do when they are giving to others. Don't make an announcement about your giving. Don't wave a flag as if to say, hey, look at me and look at how wonderful I am. When you pray, he says in verse 5, you must not be like the hypocrites. says the same thing in verse 16. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. Now, Again, why is this such an important issue to to Jesus? I actually did the math on these verses. 17% of the Sermon on the Mount is in these verses uh, about giving and fasting and praying, but not as the hypocrites do. So it's obviously something that's relatively important to Jesus. Why is this such an important issue? And then how do we respond? What should our reaction be? to what we hear this morning. And again, I want to come back to this temptation of seeking man's approval because Jesus understood that man has an intrinsic desire for a positive interaction with others. We all have a need to belong, don't we? A lot of you, when people ask, where's your church? You say, oh, uh, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to tell you about it. No, you say, I go to Green Tree Community Church. Or you say, I live in Kirkwood, or I live in Webster, or I live in Frontenac. In some way, you identify yourself. Uh, perhaps you're a lawyer, you're the part of the American Bar Association, or, or a doctor, or you're part of a fraternal organization. We identify ourselves in a variety of different ways, but we all seek to have some kind of significant identity in our lives. Uh, Carl Sandburg, who was a, a two-time Pulitzer Prize-winning uh, author and poet of the 20th century, uh, talks about his desire to belong in his autobiography, Always the Young Stranger. And he is, uh, he's recounting an event that happened in his life when he was a small boy with his father, which uh, is actually going to, to kind of shed negative light on a broken relationship, but it points to the desire to belong. And here's what Sandberg writes. He says, I remember walking on Christmas morning with my hand and my father's, and I'd been reading in the books about stars, and I had this early morning been taking a look now and then up at the sky, clear with stars. And I turned my face toward my father's, and I said, pointing with the loose hand, you know, some of those stars are millions of miles away. My father, without looking down toward me, gave a sniff 
as though I were a funny little fellow, and he said, we won't bother about that now. For several blocks, neither of us said a word, and I felt while still holding his hand that there were millions of empty miles between us. That reaction stayed, that, that uh, event stayed with Sandburg the rest of his life. Why is it that we have such a longing to belong? And how is it that sometimes that longing can be shaped and molded in our hearts in an inappropriate manner that leads us to a life of hypocrisy? So we want to consider this morning. We need to understand that just as there's nothing wrong with performing acts of righteousness, that's actually a good thing. There's also nothing wrong with longing for community. You were created to be in community. If you want to take a look at the God who created you, look at, at how that God is identified. How is he identified as Father and Son and Holy Spirit? God himself is a community. The Trinity is a mystery, but the Trinity is community. And you were created in God's image. So there's nothing wrong with longing to belong, longing to, to find a home. The question becomes, where is that potential pitfall? when we engage in the process in an unhealthy manner. I want to give you two thoughts along these lines in areas where we can struggle and why we struggle in those areas. The first is this. Uh, if your approval becomes my goal, if I begin to live so that people will, will pat me on the back, will say, boy, you really are a, a super Christian guy, Tom, and I want you to, to like me, I want you to admire me, in the context of faith, okay, in the context not uh, of, our, of outside the, the Christian community, but within the Christian community, within that context, I'm going to need to act in a certain way, right? If you're going to think I'm a good Christian, I have to act like a good Christian. And that word act in the Greek is the word that Jesus uses for the hypocrites to identify them. They're people who are actually performing. They're people who are actually being someone other than who they genuinely and truly are for the purpose of getting a response. The problem is, is that my acting, if I have not had a genuine heart experience with Christ, and I am not really his disciple, the problem is this act pushes me further away from God. It doesn't draw me to him. Why? Well, why do I need God? I have you. <laughs> I have you folks around me patting me on the back and telling me what a wonderful person I am. Isn't that enough? And God's promises seem distant to me, and they seem obscure to me, and they seem unimportant to me because I am crowded that out that relationship out and i've replaced it with other relationships that will never ultimately meet that need but i'm pretending to love god and i'm promoting an image i want you to think a certain way of me so i give to the poor but i make sure you know i give to the poor i pray but i make sure that i pray in a way that lets you know that i'm a person who prays and when i fast i make sure that everybody knows that my stomach's really growling and i'm really hungry because i'm such a great guy i've given up food for some amount of time. My giving and my praying and my fasting, however, are simply a means to an end. They're disingenuous. When I was a little boy, uh, and actually still to this day, to be quite honest with you, and this is going to sound like bragging, but it, but it really isn't, uh, I'm the favorite child on both sides of the family, hands down, no question about it. You ask any of my cousins, you ask my brother or my sister, you ask anybody who's the favorite in the family on either side, my dad's extended family or my mom's extended family, and the answer will come back an unresounding Tom is the favorite. Now, there's a reason why Tom is the favorite. Tom figured out when he was a little boy that if he said yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, and yes, sir, and no, sir, that he got a positive response from people. 
Tom figured out at a very early age, if he said, oh, Uncle Harold, you just sit there. Let me take that plate and, and put it over by the sink. Don't you just sit there and you want some more coffee? I'll go get it for you. That Uncle Harold might have a dollar in his pocket that might end up in Tom's pocket. Tom figured out very early that when Grandma needed something done, if you rushed over there and you helped Grandma, she would tell all of her friends what a sweet kid you were. And then when you happened to stop by the bridge club next Thursday, there were probably a couple extra dollars. I had the system down. And everybody patted me on the head and said, what a good little boy is Tom. The facts are that probably wasn't what was in my heart. I wasn't doing it because I was good. I was doing it because I was working the system. And too many of us, I believe, are working the system of the church. And we believe that by giving, by praying, by fasting, by doing religious things, people will think well of us. And that is what ultimately consumes us. But you know, the truth always comes out, doesn't it? Eventually, somebody sees through the the facade. They begin to poke holes in the story and they begin to see that you're maybe not who you claim to be. Uh, the, the, one of the best illustrations of this from a movie uh, in, in all time, uh, just watch this, this one scene in the courtroom, uh, is in A Few Good Men. Uh, when Tom Cruise's character is, is badgering uh, the witness, Colonel Jessup, about this code red. And everybody knows that famous scene. You know, he says, I want the truth. He says, you can't handle the truth. He said, did you authorize the code red? And finally, Jessup says, yes, of course I authorize it, and I do it again. You know, eventually, if you, if you poke enough holes, <laughs> the hypocrisy begins to show. One of the dangers that Jesus wants us to beware of is living for the approval of man and making that our goal. It will lead us to a life of hypocrisy. But the second thing is this. Leading, living for man's approval also puts us at odds with the first commandment. Uh, Monique's uh, story, she said she wasn't even sure about the Ten Commandments. They didn't have them uh, in order. Uh, but everybody probably knows something about the first commandment. You can probably come relatively uh, close. The first commandment says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. When I live for your approval, instead of seeking to be in a genuine relationship with God through Jesus Christ, your approval becomes my idol. My public giving, my public praying, my public fasting draws attention to me. The hypocrite gives to the poor and prays and fasts, not because they love Christ, not because their lives have been radically changed by the gospel, but they do it in order to receive man's applause and thereby elevating themselves above God. They become the thing that, in a sense, is worshipped. And in, a man, in the end, although man's glory is fleeting, and God is not impressed, and eternal life is missed, the hypocrite kind of whistles glibly past the graveyard as they continue to live out this facade. And Jesus says, be careful. Understand. Beware. Don't live for man's approval. Don't break the first commandment. Put God at the center of your life. And live in a way that reflects his transforming power. So how do we take this warning to heart? How do we apply it in our lives? How do we guard against hypocrisy? You know, hypocrisy isn't making mistakes as a Christian. Somebody says, well, I saw a Christian who, who got drunk. Aren't they such a hypocrite? No, they're, they're just a drunk maybe. But they believe in Jesus. Being a hypocrite means that you purposely set out to live two separate lives. A religious life. And then the person that you really are. How do we guard against practicing religion instead of having a relationship with Jesus Christ that transforms our lives and may actually begin to deal with some of those sins 
with which we, we wrestle? How do we heed Jesus' warning instead of acting for a paltry compensation of man's approval? I would suggest to you in this passage that you look for the assurances that God gives. He gives, Jesus gives them three times. In verse 4, he says, Your Father who sees in secret will reward you as you give to the needy without anybody knowing what you're doing. And when you go into your room and you close the door and you're quiet and you pray to your Father in secret, in verse 6, Jesus says, Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you fast, but nobody knows it because you've anointed your head and you've washed your face and you've gone on with your daily business and you're doing it in secret because you actually desire to have a moment where the Holy Spirit might really speak into your life and reveal some truth to you, and there's a genuineness about your faith, Jesus says in verse 18, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Anytime you see in Scripture something repeated three times, I think you need to stop and pause because God's trying to tell you something there. What's the assurance that we have? from this passage this morning. Well, the first one is simply this, and maybe it's obvious and maybe you've got it and I'm just slow, but I I keep coming back to this one because I need to hear it all the time, and that's this, that God's my Father. Through Christ, through the righteousness of Christ, I didn't earn this adoption into God's family. It was given to me as a gift, but because of Christ and what he's done on the cross and his righteousness is applied to my account, I've been adopted into the family of God. Now, understand that some of us may not have had the greatest uh, uh, father images in our lives, but I want you to pause and think for me with a moment about a really good father. What does a really good father look like? How does he treat his children? A father loves his kids. They belong to him. He loves them irregardless of how they turn out. He wants them to do well. He wants them to succeed. But at the end of the day, a father loves his son. A father loves his daughter because they belong to him. That's the definition of a good parent. They have no need for anybody else to be impressed with their child. uh, My oldest son, Nathan, has just gone through a whole bunch of job interviews, and he's gotten a job, he's gone to work, and I've had several men come up to me and say, boy, that Nate, he's a really great guy. And you know what? That's really nice. You know, I I like hearing that. But you know what? Knew it already. (laughs) Why? Because he's mine. Because he belongs to me. And I cherish my children. God cherishes his children. He loves them unconditionally. And if you want to avoid hypocrisy, the first place to start is understanding that there's a genuine relationship that you can have with the God of the universe where he doesn't call you slave. He doesn't call you servant. He calls you child, calls you son, calls you daughter. I have, uh, I have a lot of stuff in my office. I have a lot of pictures on the wall. I have some, some stuff that's of, of value in my office. I have a, a print of Bev Doolittle limited edition print that's probably worth a few hundred dollars. I have a, uh, this is going to shock a lot of you who know me well, I have an authentic autographed business card of John Wayne uh, that's in my office. Don't anybody steal it. That'll really cause me to go into depression. Uh, but I have some things of, of, of great worth in my office. But you want to see the best thing in my office? It's this rock. Is this not the coolest rock in the world? Isn't this unbelievable? It's got brown paint and blue paint and yellow paint and red paint and two eyeballs uh, on it. Uh, and there used to be a mouth down here, but it fell off. And this is really probably the greatest piece of art the world has ever seen. And you know what? I bet a bunch of you who are moms and dads have similar type of art, but your art isn't as good as my art. Why? Because on the bottom it says, Katie, the dad. This is precious to me. It's a stupid rock, <laughs> but it's precious to me. 
because it's from my daughter who didn't make it because she was trying to impress her classmates in kindergarten or first grade or whenever she happened to put this gem together. <laughs> you look at the cross and you go, what do you do? Go do anything you want. Go make any decision you need to make. Go, go live your life however you want because that thought will rule your life. And there will be a genuineness that's in your life that people will notice just as quickly as they notice the hypocrisy when we live the other way. Get your mind around the fact that God is your Father, that He loves you, that you belong to Him. And know that dads love to give good gifts to their children. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Some people go, Tom, that doesn't feel good to me as a Christian. We're, we're supposed to serve. We shouldn't be looking for a reward or any kind of pat on the backyard. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says rejoice in your relationship with your father. And he'll, he's going to reward you. He might reward you with that patience you need to deal with a business associate. He might reward you with an insight and understanding into your child's life that allows you to be a better mom or a better dad. It may allow you to, to have some uh, some healed relationship with a parent whom you've struggled for many years. I don't know exactly what the reward will be, but I know I like to give good gifts to my kids. And that pales in comparison to how God wants to pour out his blessings on our lives as a father does for their child. I'm still not sure what I'm going to do with this thing. (laughs) I'd like to put it on my car. But I don't want to be a hypocrite. I think I need to pray that God will remind me that he's my father. And then go drive my car in a way that shows everybody that truth. Let's pray. God, I can't begin to imagine... why you would love me. I can't begin to know what would set it in your heart to think that I was worth saving. And Father, I'm guessing that there are a lot of people in this room that probably feel the same way. Well, yeah, God could love Tom. He's a preacher. He does good stuff. No, that's, <laughs> that's not it. He could love so-and-so, he could love so-and-so, but he couldn't love me. Father, I know that there are probably a lot of us in this room that struggle with that on a daily basis. Maybe because we've been scarred by our past. Perhaps because of choices that we've made that have been harmful to ourselves or harmful to others. Father, maybe because of repetitive sin that we just can't seem to get past. But Father, the, the reaction to that is not to go out and act like somebody we're not. It confuses the world. It gives people a reason to reject Christ, and it does us absolutely no good. So, Lord Jesus, I thank you this morning for this passage of Scripture that hits me right between the eyes. Because, Lord, we know how to work the system. We know how to act in a certain way so that people will respond in a positive way. And at least for a few moments, it makes us feel good about ourselves. But, Father, I pray that we would repent of that sin. I pray that we would repent and renounce and turn away from the desire to have man's approval. And we would embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. It says you don't need that because you have God's approval already in Jesus. 
He's adopted you. He's called you his son, his daughter. Lord Jesus, speak that truth into our lives, not just so that we would avoid hypocrisy, but in order that our lives may be radically changed by your spirit and by your word. So that when people would see us, they wouldn't go, boy, isn't that a good person? Amen.